You're listening to the Corporate Quitter Podcast, where it's all about exploring possibilities for making an honest living outside of the traditional nine to five. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Corporate Quitter. I'm your host, Gabby Ionello, and today's guest is Curtis Coopersmith, who was born and raised on a ranch in Kansas who had an almost fatal car crash in 2008, which changed his mindset and beliefs dramatically. His interest in real estate drew him to get his real estate license in 2013, and in his first full year as a licensed realtor, Curtis sold just under 50 properties. He went on to grow a real estate team that was in the top 1% of real estate teams in the state of Oklahoma for six years in a row, which is super impressive. Curtis's passion for real estate investing led him to start a real estate investment firm in 2016, and that company bought and sold over 500 properties in just three years. Curtis sold that company in 2020 to begin coaching and training salespeople in different industries. And now today, Curtis is still in the real estate industry in different facets, but his main focus is on helping people grow themselves and to be able to take control of their lives and improve their sales. So you've done a lot, Curtis. You have a very, very interesting story. You have a very full skill set or tool belt, as I would say. So I'm so grateful you can come on and share not only like the actual sexy versus unsexy side of business, but also just like what it's like to actually be an entrepreneur who's like building an amazing business. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you for having me. First off, I know we've connected on TikTok and so it's good to like finally connect and be on here. So I'm excited to get into it. Yeah, yeah, of course. Good old fucking social media, right? (laughs) It's wild. Yes, it is. So obviously I just read over kind of like what your backstory is and how you got into real estate, but can you give us like what really led you to have that what the F moment where like you completely changed gears and now embarked on this really this entrepreneurial journey where you built this crazy company and have done all these things? Yeah. So it was kind of by accident. I lived in Texas for a long time. I'm from Kansas, lived in Texas. And then I moved to Oklahoma to work for an oil and gas construction company. And I'd done that for a while. And actually, I was with some friends one night and there was a guy there who sold real estate. And we were all like drunk and just being stupid. And I was like, if you can make a living selling real estate, anybody can. And he was like, well, then sign up and take the test. And so I signed up that night for the class. And then I ran into him like two months later. And he was like, hey, did you do the class? And I was like, shit, I forgot all about it. And so... I had started it and ended up finishing it, but I didn't really even know how to make a living selling real estate or anything like that. I bought my first rental property when I was 19. That was an accident. It was my own first property. And then I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad and ended up renting it out when I moved to Oklahoma. But I got my real estate license really just to buy rentals for myself because I was happy with my job and all of that. But when I got into it, I was like, damn, I could actually make good money doing this. But funny enough, when I started, the broker who I'd met with, I gave her a five-year plan. And my goal was I would quit my job in five years. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to sell real estate on the side. I'll quit my job in five years. Within about four months, I had made more money selling real estate than I did my whole year in my job. But I had a really good relationship with the guy that owned the company. And I'd been there you know, since the company had really blown up. And I didn't want to leave just because I loved the people I worked with and all of that. And he basically came into me one day and was like, look, you're killing yourself. You've got to quit this. Because I was... It was a construction company. So we'd start early. So I worked from 7 to 4 at my regular job. And then I would show houses, go on listing appointments, stuff like that at night and on the weekend. So I was working 7 days a week, you know, 16, 18-hour days. And... 
So I finally quit. And that's how it started taking off. It really took off just because I didn't have a choice. I was literally living in my friend's guest house and I wanted to buy another house in Oklahoma and I'd quit my job. So it was like I had to figure it out. And it was very, very difficult. But just like with anybody, you know, when you start, you have to figure it out or you're going to have to go take another job again. And that was not an option for me. Yeah. It's funny when you put yourself under a pressure cooker, you are surprised at how capable you are of figuring shit out. Like literally, even if it doesn't look good on paper, even if it's not the best way possible, you figure it out no matter fucking what. Yeah. You kind of have to burn all the bridges. I mean, I think that it was very helpful in the beginning that I had the job and another income, but I know it would have never like turned out to be what it was if I was still relying on, you know, another income stream. You just have to go through so much shit to really make it actually work and build an actual business. And if you have something else to fall back on, you know, I kind of look at it like with people who were raised with like really rich parents and, you know, in one sense, it's a huge blessing. And in the other sense, it's like, gosh, I don't know how anybody like really builds something huge that they're proud of when you have that to fall back on because there's just something to be said about, fuck, I don't have another choice. I just have to do this. Yeah, I can understand that. There's a humbling feeling of like when you not only create something on your own, but also, right, not that you don't have a choice, but it just makes it really real that like almost like you could die if this doesn't work out, which again, that's a really dramatic way of looking at it. But like, it's not like daddy's going to write a check type thing. And I've coming from New York City, I knew people who had trust funds and like had did that thing. And like, to be frank, a lot of them were blowing their money on stupid shit like Dumb shit, clothes, so much coke, so much fucking coke. I'm like, you guys need to get a life. <laughs> like, come on. But, and here I am, like, waking up at 7 a.m. on the weekends to like go to conferences to learn how to be a better communicator. Like, it's a very different world when you come from a place of like humble beginnings. Yeah. And I mean, in the beginning, it was just, gosh, I mean, it's hard to even like think back on. But within about a year after I'd started, I was still working just all the freaking time because. In my first full year, I sold just under, I think I sold 48 properties, which was wow, that's a pretty lot. crazy because <laughs> most lot, people, dude. yeah, I mean, like the average realtor sells four houses a year. So, I mean, the people starting out, it takes most people six months to even sell their first house. And a lot of that was like, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing, but I was just like, all right, I'm just going to get people in the door and then I'll figure it out as it goes. And so it was a lot of like, doing client work, but then on the back end, having to figure out like, what the hell do I actually do? And then it was about a year and a half or two years into it. I got really, really sick. I had a house that it's a long story, but I had to fund everything to fix this house up. And so I'd put about $30,000 on a credit card to fix this like huge house up for this guy that was about to lose this house. And he had equity in the house. So I knew I'd get paid back at the end, but it just took way too long. And it just kept dragging and dragging. And I knew I couldn't afford to make those payments if I didn't sell this house. And I got really, really sick from that. And they didn't know what was going on. But come to find out, I had an ulcer that ruptured that ended up making my gallbladder rupture. It had been ruptured and they didn't do the test to find out until like three weeks later. And so I had to have my gallbladder and part of my small intestines removed. And so basically like 
I lost like 25 pounds when I didn't have it to lose to begin with. And I kind of had to like start over again. And that it was so fucking hard to go through that. And that was, I almost got another job when that happened because it was like, oh shit, I got real low. Cause I went for like three months where I couldn't work. I couldn't do anything but then just kind of had to rebuild again. And I made my niche with investors was really what I got into because I knew that world a little bit because I had a rental property from before, but that was how I kind of niched down and then went on from there and then built the companies from that. Wow. I'm wondering, I mean, the stress obviously was the main contributing factor to the health issues, but like, Obviously, right? It sounds awesome when you're like, I sold 48 houses and everyone in their minds are thinking dollar signs, like life must be amazing. But like, can you talk on like the additional like non-sexy sides of business, like the things that people I don't think acknowledge on how tough it is to actually do these things and like the person you need to become in order to make it work? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's a lot of like costs that people don't really think about, you know, like in the beginning too, especially with real estate, like people think like, you get this commission and then you're keeping all of it, but you're not. And one thing that a lot of people don't realize is the tax side of things of like your first year that you make a lot of money and then you get this huge tax bill because you're not keeping track of stuff because you know you didn't set up your LLC or your S-Corp. I've ran into a lot of that stuff. But for me, the really unsexy side was just how fucking miserable I actually was. To some extent, like I was proud and happy that like I was doing this. Like it was like, okay, I've proven to myself that I can quit, I can build a business, and I can make a lot of money on my own. But I didn't know how to have a life, I didn't know how to turn it off. And so, even my friends who like I had had a great relationship with for so long because we hung out together all the time and stuff. When I was hanging out with them, I was still either talking about work all the time or I was just so fucking stressed. Like it was this guilt thing that I dealt with for a long time that I really didn't get over with until about two years ago. But the guilt thing was like one of my biggest things where if I was working, I felt guilty that I wasn't you know, spending time with my wife at the time or my friends. And then when I was with them, I felt guilty that I wasn't working because there's always something to be done. There's never a time like when you own a business, it's never going to get to a point where you're like, wow, I'm completely caught up. There's absolutely nothing to do. There's always something to do. And you have to like learn what is the most important things and what actually has to be done versus like this could be done. And so it took me a while to kind of learn that balance. That was kind of the unsexy part in the beginning. As things went on, I always had this vision in my head that like, if I can just grow this into an actual business and hire people, I won't have as much stress. And it was actually the complete opposite. The more people I hired, the more people I brought on, Yes, they were doing a lot of the stuff that I wasn't good at or I didn't like doing, but it is this insane new level of stress because not only do you have to think about paying their salaries, their benefits, their payroll taxes, but also you know how to talk to clients. Like if you've built it on your own, like you know what to say when things go wrong. 
And it's a completely other thing to be able to coach someone and like teach them what you know how to do. So like, instead of like something's going wrong, if I were to step in and just fix it, I'm basically telling my people, I don't trust you and I don't think you're good enough. And that's so toxic and it's terrible to do. And so you have to learn how to like coach them into doing this, which is 10 times harder than just doing it on your own. So that was one thing I didn't really realize until I got into it was I just always had this vision in my mind of like, once I hire more people, this stress is going to go away. It'll be so much easier. And it was the exact opposite in my experience, at least. So then how did you get out of the like survival mindset, right? That hustle culture and still get your life back if like time was the issue? Because right, if you're hiring people and that's becoming a problem and also like you don't have time, so it's causing stress. Like what's the real in-between place? Like how do you find that happy place? The real in-between of it is figuring out what are the most important things that I can be doing on a day-to-day basis and then what can I delegate? So instead of thinking of it as, okay, I need more money or I, whatever, I'm going to work harder. I'm going to work more hours. It's okay. I have set aside that I have three hours a day that I'm going to work on the most important task. What are the most important things during that? And for me, I've always used a tracking sheet. So my tracking sheet is like based on my goals for the whole year. So another thing is like, if you have more than two or three goals for the year, like it's basically a waste of time because goals don't matter unless they're trackable and unless it's like actionable. And so I would build my tracking sheet around like what my goals were and then not only business-wise, but personal ones. So I knew every week exactly what I needed to do. For me, it was how many conversations I needed to have every week, how many contracts I needed to write, how many interviews I needed to do. So like for hiring people, like I needed to constantly kind of be building that bench and then how many posts to social media, legion things, stuff like that. So I knew exactly what I needed to do each week. And then during that time that I had set aside, like I knew these are my most important things. And I learned to find peace in knowing that, hey, I've decided up front exactly what I need to do. And if I have those things done, I can give myself the peace and the freedom to step back and say, hey, I don't have to keep working. If I want to, I can, but I don't have to because I know what I need to do and those things are done. And so I think there's a lot of peace and clarity in knowing exactly what you need to do on a daily, weekly, monthly basis and then getting those things done. If anybody follows Andy Frisella, he's had like one of the biggest business podcast for years. He owns First Form. He calls it his power list. What he says is he puts no more than three things on his list at the beginning of the day every day. And if those three things get done, then he can have peace to take the day off or to keep working if he wants to. But that gives him permission to like step back. And so I think like kind of getting out of that survival mindset is realizing that your value isn't found in how hard you work. And that was a big thing for me. was like my value was all tied to what I produce and what I can get done. You know, it took therapy, a lot of therapy. But once I realized that like, I am more than what I can produce, like I am proud of myself. I'm happy with myself. 
And I don't have to work 12 hours a day to have value. I have value outside of what I'm doing on a day-to-day basis. And that was a huge thing to kind of get me out of that kind of survival mindset. But I think if you can be really clear on what you need to do on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, and you can find the value of yourself outside of what you're doing, it helps a lot to kind of get out of that mindset and out of that process. Yeah. It's funny because I was revisiting goals this past week. I launched my podcast a year ago, basically. The platform started May 1st of last year. So I'm like, oh, what did I achieve this past year? And it's crazy to see that when I started to prioritize me actually taking breaks and kind of cutting away a lot of bullshit, like things that I felt obligated to do that I really didn't need to do, not only did I make more money, but I have more peace and contentment in my life. I actually make time for multiple hours, literally hours with like plural to walk every single day and people watch, like to actually sleep in, to do all these things and yet still do work and make like five figures a month. I'm like, wow, okay, cool. And I'm chilling, great, let's do it. Exactly. Yeah. And that's kind of where I am now, but it took a long time to get there. A long time. I mean, it was like a very difficult thing to work through of seeing value outside of that and not having my whole personality be, this is what I do for work and how much money I make is how valuable I am. Yeah. Well, that's like the corporate mentality. It takes some serious, serious purging, if that's all you know. Yeah. A hundred percent. And especially with all like your relationships tied up with your work and, you know, the people you work with and stuff like that, like it's hard to step away from that. It is. It's really hard. I mean, it's more possible now than I think it's ever been. It really is. Like there's more opportunities now than there really has ever been. It just, it's not easy, but it is possible. Yeah, I agree. I'm wondering... When we had talked prior to this podcast, as well as like the things that you had listed off in the show so far, right, with regards to your your business and kind of hitting rock bottom with your health and all these things, like, is there something in addition to what you already talked about that can help someone like do business correctly without hitting rock bottom, right? Without running out of the cash or having their relationship on the line or like their health in jeopardy? Like, how can you do business correctly? Oh, gosh. I mean, there's a lot. I think that When it comes to like actually doing things correctly, it's one of those things that like you can hear people talk about a million times, but some of these things you kind of have to learn on your own or just find somebody that you really trust to kind of listen to. But I think, you know, if I could like kind of start over and kind of do it again, it is realizing that you're never going to get to this place of feeling total contentment and feeling like I'm 100% ready to like take time off or I'm 100% ready to like let myself relax. That time never comes. The goalpost just keeps getting moved. Instead of beating yourself up and looking at like, this is where I want to go. I'm not there yet, so I suck. There's a fine balance in pushing yourself, having goals and like, just pushing yourself to the point that it's not healthy. And so I think that one way to do things correctly is to prioritize your happiness, like prioritize your joy, at least close to prioritizing growing your business and your money. Because in the beginning, like especially if you don't have a job or anything like that, like it is survival mode. And so it's hard to think about like, oh, I need to take care of myself when you're like, how do I take care of myself if I can't freaking eat? Like I have to keep fucking working like this because 
there's no point in taking care of myself if I can't eat. And so I think that like making it a point to actually like prioritize yourself and taking care of yourself would be a huge thing. Even if that's just like, I go walk 30 minutes a day every morning, or like I make it a point to meal prep every Sunday, doing things like that. Another thing is trusting yourself enough that you already have all the things that you need are inside of you. It's just a matter of being resourceful. Tony Robbins says this all the time. Like so many people say like, well, if I had more money, I would go do this. But at the end of the day, the people who succeed are the most resourceful, not the ones who have the most resources. And so if you can just really get good at being resourceful and figuring shit out on your own or being willing to reach out to the right people, you're going to go so much further and you're going to avoid so much headache and heartache. I mean, I feel like that's what I do now is I feel like I collapse time for people instead of you having to beat your head against the wall to figure the shit out on your own. I help people by being like, hey, I beat my head against the wall for three months to figure this out. So hopefully our 30-minute phone call, it only takes you 30 minutes instead of three months. So yeah, I mean, I think that kind of answers like of, (laughs) you know, how to kind of do things correctly more or less. Yeah, I really like how you honed in on the fact that we all have all the answers within us because for so long I was searching externally for all the things that I needed to know, paths that I needed to take or all that stuff. And realistically, either two things happen. One, it's not the right time to take action. So I actually need to sit back and wait for that answer about like what my next step is to come to fruition. Or the other one is to get over my imposter syndrome and take the action that I know I need to take even though I don't want to do it. It's usually one of those two. Yeah, because you're never going to be ready. It's like the same thing that people always say about like getting married or having a kid or like any like really big life change is like, you're never going to be 100% prepared. Yes, you have to like think logistically and logically about like, it does this make sense, but you're never going to have everything lined up. And I know so many people get stuck in that analysis paralysis kind of stage of like, well, I don't know everything there is to know about starting this business. So I'm just going to stay back until I know more. And I think it's a great thing with how much information is out there right now, but it's also on the other side, it's kind of a bad thing because you can get an information overload. And I think that people become professional listeners to podcasts and YouTube. They have all of the fucking head knowledge you could ever need, but they never take action. You know what I mean? And done beats perfect every day of the fucking week. It just does. Like at some point, you just have to take the jump and be like, I don't fucking know everything, but I'm just going to figure it out because I'm going to be resourceful. It can't get any simpler than that. You got to know the basics, but really everything else you can figure out as you go. Yeah. And, you know, there are credit cards. So not to advocate for going into debt, but like, shit, I know so many people. That's how you fucking build shit. If you don't know what you're doing and you don't have the capital, fuck it. Like, you'll make it back. You'll pay it off. Just like we always do. Like, Or you can do a debt consolidation once you start making money. Like, fuck it. It will work out eventually. Like, you just got to do what you got to do at some points and... You know, yeah, you don't want to advocate for it, but I don't really know anybody that hasn't unless they came from a bunch of money. Yeah. Which again, to your point, 
Like the people who came from all the silver spoon don't necessarily do these crazy big things oftentimes because they're comfortable, right? And that's totally fine. But yeah, it takes the real movers and shakers who come from humble beginnings to do these amazing things. So got to figure it out. Talking about like doing the damn thing, I'm wondering if you can speak on, for people who are listening, they want to get involved with real estate, whether it's like working full-time or doing real estate investments. Like, can you touch on that a little bit? Because that's like a hot topic right now. Everyone wants to get into it. Yeah, for sure. I'll answer it kind of twofold. So like the people who want to get into real estate, the best advice that I give people wanting to get started out is... In most states now, you have to have your license to do pretty much anything real estate related, like sales wise. So go ahead and get your license. It's not that hard. And everything that you learn to get your license is shit that you will never use ever, not one time. Like I can it advocate is for that all too. the most useless shit. <laughs> uh, yeah, you did it I got, too. I, yeah, I, yeah, I got my about. license. Yeah, it expired last year, which I should have renewed, but uh, <laughs> it wasn't it like, yes. you know, I'll get it again eventually. So yeah, but. The biggest mistake I see people make that get into real estate is they look for what is the cheapest split when it comes to like choosing a brokerage. So for those of you who don't know, like when you get your license in all 50 states, you cannot become a broker until you've had your actual license for two years. So you have to join a brokerage. You just, you have to. And what happens is all of these brokerages make money off of their split. So when you sell a house, at least in the beginning, you're going to have to pay part of your commission to a brokerage. And so a lot of people, when they start out, they're like, oh, well, this brokerage will only charge me $500 per transaction that I do, whereas this one's charging me 30%. There's a reason they're charging you more most of the time. It is because they have a lot better training and systems and shit that's going to teach you how to actually go make money. And when you're starting out in real estate, you need either somebody that's going to hold your hand and like really guide you and really teach you how to do this, or you need a brokerage or like joining a team that's going to teach you how to get leads or give you leads. Also, like I didn't start out this way, but I tell people now the best way to get started in real estate sales is to join a big team. That's the way the model is going. The way real estate sales is going now is the future of it is either going to be a a few really big teams in each market that have a lot of agents under them that are, their systems and processes are so good that it is like a fine-tuned machine. Or you have the more boutique, luxury type brokerages that's just like one or two people involved there. And it's a very personalized service. That middle ground, the middle people are going to get cut out. They're either going to have to really get good at their systems and processes and creating a personalized service or join a team. So in the beginning, if you can join a team, they will give you the leads. They'll teach you how to close the business and you will make money starting out. Whereas if you start out on your own, most of the time it is a very fucking hard battle to get started. Oh yeah. It doesn't matter where you live at. It is fucking hard. I lost my fucking apartment. I closed one deal, like I think within my first week, which was like fucking nuts. I like took an open house from someone and got a lead and then directed that lead to a different property. But number one, the brokerage fucked me with the split. And I was like, oh, okay. I didn't know any better. And then of course, like two months later, the entire team broke up. The person who was leading the team decided she didn't want to do real estate anymore. Basically, she like went backpacking all throughout Europe and left me in the dust. And I was like, oh, bitch, like... 
I can't pay my rent. Like I can't be in this apartment anymore. Literally had to move back home and like was like thousands in debt because I tried to stay afloat for so long. And that was like, I mean, a matter of three months. Like we're talking like October through January. It was done. It's the reality. Damn. Fucking, and I'm a pretty, I'm a fucking hustler, <laughs> you know? Yeah, especially in New York. I mean, New York is like, that is probably the hardest place to get started in real estate, like in general. It's just very fucking difficult. It's difficult everywhere, but New York is like a whole different beast of like how difficult it actually is. Yeah. I mean, that's a reality. You know, it, it, people think it's a walk in the park. They see like selling Sunset and they're like, oh, I want to do that. I'm like, oh, so would we all. Yeah, exactly. It looks fun. And, you know, so many people are like, oh, I love looking at houses and all that. I'm like, well, that's like 3% of the job. That's not a reason to get into real estate. But for people who want to like start selling, the biggest question that I get is about buying rentals. And especially right now, it is like the hot thing to do where, you know, on TikTok and YouTube, everybody's talking about how easy it is to either wholesale real estate or to buy rentals and Airbnbs. I mean, I've wholesaled and sold regular real estate. I've probably wholesaled more than anything. And I would say getting into wholesaling right now is easily the hardest thing to do in real estate. You don't have to have a license. So there's a low barrier to entry, but everyone and their fucking dog thinks they're a wholesaler and an investor right now. And so it is very difficult to find deals. Whereas for literally decades, it's been a very low barrier to entry and you can get in and make a lot of money quick. It is not that way anymore. Not that it's impossible, but it costs you a lot of fucking money to find leads for where either investment deals or wholesale deals. So if you're wanting to start wholesaling, definitely find somebody in your area or reach out to me even. I'm happy to help you. It's not that hard to get started. It just costs a lot of money to find those leads. And so don't get tricked into these people selling these like five and $10,000 courses that are like, take my course and I'll teach you exactly how to do it. Yes, they could teach you how to do it, but it is a lot fucking harder to do it than it has been in the past. So besides that though, when it comes to actually buying rentals or Airbnbs, I think that so many people get caught up and think that like, I have to buy a lot. I need to buy a lot of properties or I'm going to buy a rental property and it's going to be a secondary source of income. And that is the complete wrong way to look at it. You need to look at rental properties as a secondary retirement account because rental properties really only make sense long-term unless you're going to buy a lot of them. So for example, the Midwest is the best place to buy rentals because on the coast, the price points are so high and the rent does not compare to how much the house costs. So when you're looking at rental properties, the golden rule is 1%. So what that means is 1% rent to purchase price. So if the house will rent for $1,000, you don't want to pay any more than $100,000 for the property for it to positively cash flow long-term. So that's what everybody's looking for is the 1%. Now, with that in mind, though, it's becoming more and more difficult to actually find those types of deals. That's why you have to look at it long term also is because even if you meet the golden rule of the 1%, you're going to get a loan when you buy rentals. You don't want to pay cash for rentals ever unless you have to for tax purposes. You want to get a loan for rentals, which means you have to put down 20%. 
So when you're buying a rental property, you got to put down 20%. And as we're looking at it long-term, you're only going to make about two to 300 a month. Like that's a good deal. After your loan with the rent, you're going to be profiting two to $300 a month, which is not very much. I mean, you would have to own five of those just to make a thousand dollars a month. So it's not going to be a good secondary income. But long-term though, it makes a lot of sense because somebody else is paying for your house and you're hopefully building equity as it goes. So long-term, if you're looking at it as like a secondary retirement account in 20 years, you're going to have a house that's paid off that appreciated in value that you didn't pay off. Somebody else paid that off for you. So that's where the real value in rental property comes in. And just to make it really simple for anybody that wants to get started, if you can just buy one property every other year, so one property every year for 30 years, at the end of 30 years, you'll have 15 properties, okay? Most people, you're going to probably even still be working in 30 years. But at the end of that, once those properties get paid off, if you've got 15 properties that at the end of this, you know, let's say they're paid off and they're rented for two grand a month. That's $30,000 a month that all you had to do was pay the down payment up front and somebody else paid those off. And then at the end of that, once those are paid off, you can refinance that, you know, to pull some of that money out. Like you have so many options and that's not that difficult. All that requires if you're buying one every other year is you saving just a small percentage of your checks every month. So Every time you get a paycheck or you pay yourself, if you own a business, put a percent of that back into a savings account that is specifically made for investments. And then find somebody in your area or somebody where you want to invest who actually knows what they're talking about and have them help you find the deals. I think the way that you explained it is not only real, right? Because like a lot of people love to blow smoke up your ass because that's the internet and that's marketing. (laughs) But the other thing too is it's, reminding people that you need to go about this in a very strategic way and it's not a quick fix. Like I think a lot of people, myself included, I'm guilty of this. I'm always looking like, oh, can I make a quick flip on something? Like, right, you know, like people purchase crypto and they're like, oh, I hope this thing pops and then I'm like a millionaire and then I could sit back and kick it. It's like those things very rarely happen in life and it's great if they do, but you need to be in the long-term game with everything, like literally everything, your business, real estate, your relationships, everything. Yeah, 100%. And there are a lot of people that I think that they've seen so many people in the last couple of years that own a house that they've gotten all this equity. And so they think like, I have a lot of people reach out still that are like, hey, I want you to help me find a house that I can get 100% financing on that I want to buy it at 70% of value. And I'm like, if I found that, I would buy it. Nobody is going to help you find that house right now because it's so hard to find those. So you've got to be realistic about what you're looking for. It is very difficult to find deals right now. And the real estate market is not going to crash. I mean, if the economy crashes, that could definitely affect the real estate market. But we would have to have a very serious economic collapse for the real estate market to really collapse. It's been way too high for way too long, so it's going to normalize out, but it's not going to just full on crash. So if you're waiting on the sidelines and being like, well, I'm not going to buy something until it crashes again, you're going to keep fucking waiting because I've had people tell me they're waiting for the market to crash again since 2012. And it's just, it's not coming. 
sure, it may one day for sure, but things are a lot different now. And the things that made the housing market collapse in 2008 are no longer, it's not something that's even happening. So you're going to keep waiting forever if you just keep waiting. Yeah. But I also find that the gentrification of areas that people typically would have not lived in are now increasing. So right back then it was the Chicago's, the Miami's, the New York, you know, the LA or San Fran. And now it's like Austin's on the come up, like even Kansas city, like even Miami, like, and now it's the crypto place. So like, I feel like a lot of these smaller cities that originally weren't hubs are now becoming major places of value. And so if you can get in on that again, now and see those trends, then you have the potential to actually capitalize on it. But again, that's still the long-term game regardless. Yeah, because long-term, if you look at like hundreds of years of real estate markets, there's only been one time that the price of real estate has gone down for longer than a year. And that was in 2008. Every other time, if you look in history, even when there's been like a big housing market correction, if you just wait it out a couple of years, the value goes right back up. Like all these people who even fire sold in 2008, those houses are worth three times as much now as they were back then. And that was less than 15 years ago. So, I mean, if you're holding it for the long term, it's always going to keep going up. It's just a matter of like, how long can you hold on to it and having multiple exit strategies on it. Yeah. And also regulating your nervous system because I'm sure people like have a very quick freak out, like stress gauge. Like they just, they don't like to wait. Yeah. When COVID happened, that was the first time I've ever been like really fearful about what was going to happen real estate wise. I mean, even like the really big, like I work with some funds that buy a lot of properties too that I consult and stuff like that. And even those guys were fucking terrified. We're, I mean, we're talking about like, Hey, I want to just sell all of them. We want to go to cash. Like we think this is going to be what really cripples the real estate market. And everybody thought that for a good six months, things were not good. And then the freaking supply problem happened and it just blew up. Everything comes and goes in waves. You just got to hang on. It'll get better. Yeah, I agree. But sometimes sitting around is the worst thing you can do. So, you know, got to take action when the internal impulse is there. But yeah, this was really helpful. I think for people who are curious about business in general, as well as just like both sides of real estate, whether you're selling it or you're actually getting involved with like the investment properties, wholesale arbitrage, like all that good stuff. I think this was a nice overview. So it's not too overwhelming, but it's like to scratch the surface a bit. Yeah. But one of the things I like to do with every single guest to like wrap up the episode is just ask one final question, which is if you could give advice to your younger self, what would that be? Uh, I think, well, there's a couple things, but one would be to never drink and drive. I mean, I know that that is probably, it's not like really on brand for what we've been talking about, but I was hit by a drunk driver when I was 19 and I was drunk at the time too. Um, He hit me to commit suicide and it did kill him. My truck cut him in half and it was still to this day is very traumatic for me um, and it really shaped my life. But like I had put myself in a bad situation there. And so if I had made that decision from the get-go, you know, it wouldn't have been a big issue. But I think as far as like business goes, like if I could like kind of start over, I got this advice right off the bat when I first started in real estate from the lady who was one of the ones who started Keller Williams. 
Her name's Mo Anderson for anybody in real estate, they'll know who she is. But she told me when you're starting with any business, if you can build 25 advocates, you will never have to lead generate for business ever again. What advocates mean are these are 25 people who are your like raving fans, that they are in your corner, that they are like, they love you and will do anything they can to help you get business. And so, you know, people hear that. It's like, okay, great. Yeah, I need to do that. But how the fuck do you do that? You do that by the more people who you help get what they want, the more people help you get what you want. And so in the beginning of my career, I had a few people who I knew that they owned businesses, pretty large businesses that I knew if I could help them get business or get whatever they were wanting, that they would help me. And so I would go to them and people who are already established, they don't want to go get fucking coffee, okay? They don't. They don't have the time. I get asked this all the time, like, hey, well, you want to go grab lunch and grab coffee? No, I don't. And they don't either. So the people who you're wanting to build a relationship with, the reaching out of like, hey, I just want to jump on a call and see how we can help each other. Like, that doesn't work. But what I did was they were people who I kind of knew. And I would reach out and just be like, I would just kind of humble myself and say like, hey, even if I've got to pay you, I just really want to pick your brain. And I really want to see like what you've done and you know, I was willing to pay them and you need to be willing to pay people in the beginning for knowledge because it's worth it to pay for it. But I would ask them, you know, what are you working on? What are you trying to do? And how can I help you get it? And I would make it a point to actually help them get business and send people to them. Because of that, they took care of me. And I can look back and there's two people in particular that. I can track almost every single bit of business I've done to these two people. Not that like they introduced me to everyone I worked with, but it was like these people introduced me to someone else who then opened a huge door that then opened another huge door, but it wouldn't have happened without these two people. So if you can be really intentional in the beginning about building your advocates and about like actually taking care of people, They will take care of you back and you can do whatever the fuck you want once you're helping enough people get what they want. Yeah. I would say like, say that three more times because a lot of people don't realize that like, I can't tell you how many messages I get from people who are like, hey, can I pick your brain for 30 minutes or an hour? I'm like, I don't even have that time for myself. No. (laughs) And also like, what is this going to contribute to? How is this going to help me? Like, I think a lot of people don't take it from the perspective of providing value and that's why they fuck up in business. Like, honestly, it all comes back from providing value in any place, shape, or form or relationship. And if you don't have that mindset, you're going to be fucked. Just a reality. Yes, 100%. And this is like a little different, but a way to like really save time, especially in the beginning, is make it a point upfront that you will never go on a lunch appointment no matter what. Unless it is like somebody that is like your hero that you really want to meet with. Lunch appointments are the biggest waste of time you can possibly have because your mornings need to be productive. And if you're going on a lunch appointment, you're having to stop your flow early just to drive to go meet. It's always going to take at least an hour and a half. Then you drive back. It takes a while to get back into the flow. So you're out two hours. Whereas if you meal prep and just eat your food there, 15, 30 minutes max. 
So you're wasting an hour and a half of your day every time you go on a lunch appointment. So I hate lunch appointments. I cannot, <laughs> I cannot stress that enough. That is like one of my like hard and fast rules. I do not go on a lunch appointment. Yeah. I completely agree with you. And also like, it's not even the time suck. It's also the energy suck because if you're a high energy person and someone takes the life out of you, how the hell are you going to continue your day when you're exhausted and you just knowledge bomb someone and they did shit for you? It, yeah, you are right on. It is, it sucks the life out of you to go on those. I, I hate them. I can tell. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in the same boat though. I got it. Yeah. So I, guess I am like really- very passionate about lunch appointments. <laughs> so anyway, so basically what we're trying to say is like provide value and also pay for the people you want to speak with. It will come back tenfold. Things don't go for free. We're not doing that anymore. This has been really fun. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing all your nuggets of gold and everything like that and, you know, painting the picture of your story. But um, where can people find you if they want to get connected with you, compliment you on the episode, maybe reach out about real estate tips or, or learn from you or something like that? So my Instagram is my name and I think Gabby will have my links that she could post below. But um, my last name is spelled really weird. You can see it on here, but uh, my Instagram is my name. My Facebook's my name. Same thing with TikTok. So I'm on all three. People can reach out there. And then I also have a, I coach people one-on-one, but I have a Facebook group as well that if people are in real estate or own a business that they want coaching, but don't have the money for it, it's only $50 a month and you get one call every quarter. And then plus I do a call every week in there. So it's kind of my solution to like give people what I would have wanted when I was starting out and didn't have the money to pay for it. Yeah. Nice little handholding when you're starting is always nice. Well, thank you again. This has been great. And um, yeah, I I appreciate it. Yes, thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited for it to come out. and uh, Hope you guys got value from it. Thanks for listening to the Corporate Quitter Podcast. Visit corporatequitter.com for resources, extended content, and additional information about our guests. To connect with us, stay up to date on all things Corporate Quitter, and to learn more about how you can leave the nine to five, follow us on Instagram and TikTok. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks, guys.